morning, everyone. If you don't know, uh, my name is Simon Harris. I'm the uh, minister here, and uh, we're going to look at God's Word together. We're following a series entitled Freedom uh, in Christ, and we're looking at this uh, heading this morning, The Battle for Our Minds. It's all about the way that we think. And we want to look particularly this morning at one particular aspect of the way our minds, our thinking, is challenged and uh, influenced. And I hope you have your Bible still open, uh, where John kindly read to us. Uh, it's page 1177, if you're using a Bible uh, in front of you. If, uh, if you're not, then it won't be. Ephesians chapter 6 and uh, verse 10. Just kind of leave it open uh, on your lap in front of you. We'll come back to it from time to time this morning and indeed some other passages in Ephesians in order to get a grip on what we're thinking about. Verse 10, Paul says, finally, because he's coming to the end of his letter, be strong, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I don't suppose for a moment there is anybody here, any Christian here, who doesn't want to be strong as a Christian. We want to be the best Christian we can be. If we are God's person, God's man or woman, we want to be the best man, the best woman of God we possibly can uh, be. And Paul says if you want to be that person, if you want to be strong in the faith, if you want to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, then, verse 11, you'll need to understand what it is to put on the full armor of God. Why? So that in this world, you'll be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, I don't know about you, but most of the time it feels like it is, doesn't it? Your struggle will be with uh, perhaps your family relationships. Perhaps there's something difficult going on at work at the moment. Perhaps there's uh, another tension somewhere else. By and large, most of life's problems are caused by other people. Wouldn't you agree? Take it from me as a pastor. (laughs) God bless you all. But most of life's trouble is caused by other people. If it wasn't for people, hey, if it wasn't for people, I'd have a fantastically ordered church. Everything would be neat and tidy and in its place. All the programs would run. Uh, Everyone would come to everything if there was nobody in my church. Our fight's against people most of the time. That's how it feels. Our fight is very much against flesh and blood. The things we struggle with, the things that bother us, are all caught up with people. Sometimes the problem is with us, our flesh and blood, our humanity, our humanness. We create most of our own troubles half the time, don't we? Ooh, that was just me. (laughs) And so Paul says, think about it, folks. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He says there's something more than the physical world that you can see. Behind the physical world that you can see, Paul says, is a spiritual world that you cannot see, but do not underestimate its influence on the physical that you can see. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, what on earth is that, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So there are authorities, there are powers, there are rulers, and caught up in all of those powers and authorities and rulers are the powers of this dark world, which are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms realm in the heavenly place. We must not dismiss the impact of the spiritual world on our physical world. That's what he's saying. He lives in a world, he lived in a world just like ours. He's saying, hey, a fight isn't really against flesh and blood. Beyond that, there is another fight. There is another struggle. And don't be fooled into thinking that what you cannot see is not involved in that struggle. Now the tendency of those of us brought up in a, in a modern Western worldview is to dismiss, as we've talked about previously in this series, to dismiss much of the things that we put in a category of stuff that go bump in the night. The spiritual realm. We're very physical, earthly people. I want to test it, prove it, repeat it, see it, then I'll believe in it. But the Bible offers us something very different, not just here in Ephesians, but right the way through from Genesis to Revelation. There is a theme of a fight, a struggle that's going on, and it's not a struggle of flesh and blood, but it's a struggle between the kingdom of darkness against the kingdom of light. It's a struggle against lies versus the truth. It's a struggle against what's wrong versus what's right. And it moves in the kind of genre of Scripture towards a big conclusion in Revelation, the Christ and the Antichrist, between good and evil. And we might be tempted to say as Christians, well, we're kind of immune from all of that stuff. No, we as Christians, as those who would dare to say in this world full of powers that there is one power above all others, those who would dare to say that make themselves a target. And so Paul writes to ordinary Christians in Ephesus, And there's good reason to believe that this letter that Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus was a memorandum to be sent round lots of churches. He wasn't saying this is a deal for the Ephesians. He was saying this is a deal for every Christian of every place. Your fight is not just against flesh and blood. It is against the powers. And he writes to these ordinary Christians and he says you need to be strong in the Lord by putting on the full armour of God because you have become a target as being one who proclaims Jesus as Lord. We can, of course, bury our head in the sand. Kind of increases the size of our target somewhat uh, if we do. Uh, so you can do that, of course, and, uh, and, and that's a, a, an appropriate, well, not an appropriate, but it's a, it's a way that, that most of us will relate to from time to time. I'm just going to put my head in the sand here. Some of us do that with our problems against flesh and blood as well, don't we? I'll just bury my head in the sand and it'll all come out all right one day, maybe. Uh, we hope. So we need to understand that we're in this battle that the Bible talks about. So so let's just unpack that a little bit. We've got this this figure that that personifies the battle. They're called Satan, the, the head, if you like, of this kingdom of darkness, known in the Bible from the beginning as the deceiver. 
because he deceived Adam and Eve into thinking that if they ate from the fruit, it would benefit them. And of course, it did just the opposite. But what we need to understand just at the beginning as we start talking like this is Satan is not, not, not like God. Not like God. You see, we fall in so often to the classic Western worldview which divides the world into the natural and the supernatural. The natural is like you, me, shops, television, normal stuff, food, drink, things that I wear, what I do, science, things I can test, prove, see, all that. That's the natural stuff. And then over here somewhere there's the supernatural stuff which is kind of God, spirits, Satan if you believe in him, things that go bump in the night, some weird psychic stuff, Eastern meditation, all that stuff. It's sort of over here in supernatural somewhere. So we've got natural over here and we like to live over here because we understand it all and we're comfortable here. And then over here somewhere, if we think it exists, there's a kind of supernatural world and that's where God is and Satan is and all that stuff, and we kind of want to leave them to it most of the time and inhabit this cozy world over here. The Bible does not, the Bible does not divide the world up like that. The Bible does not divide the world into natural and supernatural. The Bible divides the world up differently. The creator and the created. That's the division that the Bible makes consistently through its pages doesn't matter whether it's natural, supernatural, goes bump in the night, makes a noise after dark, whatever it is, doesn't matter what it is, this is the division. Is it the creator or is it the created? And that's the distinction that the Bible makes and we need to hold on to writ large as we think about this stuff uh, this morning, that division. Now, where is Satan? Notice in your Western worldview... Where was Satan? He was, there was there's kind of the, the, the natural world and then there's the supernatural world. God, Satan, things that go bump in the night all over here, kind of mixed in together. But in this biblical way of looking at it, God the creator is over here. Everything else is over here as part of the created world. Be it a human being, be it an angel, be it a fallen angel, be it a good angel, a bad angel, a good human being, a bad human being, whoever you are, from here to Timbuktu, the created world, all in that pot. And distinct from that created world is the creator, who is way, 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 way above his creation. And sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that somehow God and Satan are in some kind of tussle and we wonder who's going to win. Read the end of the book. We win. It's not in doubt. It's not a fair contest. The creator and the created. Way up here, way down here. And we fool ourselves and we get ourselves into such a pickle if we think there's somehow, there's some kind of equality, duality, whatever it might be, between good and evil, light and darkness, Father God and the Father of lies. It just isn't true. Someone said it's like comparing, to, comparing Satan to God is like comparing uh, an ant to an atomic bomb. No comparison. They don't go together. 
So let's keep moving on. Satan can be in only one place at one time. God's outside time. Satan's power and authority uh, does not begin to compare with God's. In fact, in Colossians 2, when Paul writes to the church there, he says, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, he fully disarmed all the powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them through his death. It is not an equal contest. You don't have to sit on the edge of your seats wondering who's going to win. You don't have to wonder in the morning who's in charge today. It's not an equal contest. And Satan has all kinds of limitations and you can read about that in Daniel 2 if if you want to. But we do need to understand how he works. The Bible doesn't give us the option of sticking our head in the sand. Ephesians 6, when Paul wrote to that church, doesn't give us permission to act like this stuff doesn't exist. It talks about getting the full armour of God on. And if you're going to brace yourself against an enemy, you need to understand a little bit about that enemy. Maybe just a little bit. Now, it's true to say that the Bible doesn't tell us an awful lot. You can't look up a, a book on, uh, on, on demons or on uh, uh, spiritual warfare or how demons work and operate. Why? Probably because we don't really need to know. What you do need to know is that God's up here as the creator. Everything else is down here as the created. Who's in charge? It's not difficult, is it? But sometimes we get up in the morning and we live as if we're not sure who's in charge today. And I'm as guilty as that as you are. And we go through life, whoa, who's, in, who's going to win here? The creator and the created. But what he does do, what he does do, is he puts thoughts into our minds. And when you will be most aware of his scheming, and of his work, although it wouldn't be him, it'll be one of his minions, his little demons, a whole load of fallen angels scurrying about the place, doing his business. Puts thoughts into our minds, and you can read about that in in a whole number of places. David, for example, in the Old Testament, who was the king, uh, it says that Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Now, David was in charge of uh, of the army, And the census was all to do with how many soldiers he had in that army. Uh, And what was wrong with that was that as David took his focus off God and began to count how many people was in his army, he was going to make decisions about whether to go to war depending on how many people were in his army, not on whether God was going to give him the victory or not. And so it says that Satan encourages David to take his eye off the ball. Go on, David. Stop looking at God and trusting in God. Count your army to make sure you have enough men to go to war. And so David's gaze began to slip from the Creator down. Now, did David think to himself, hmm, I think Satan's playing a trick on me here? No. If he had, he would have been wise to his schemes and told him probably to get lost. David was a godly man most of the time. David thought the idea was his own. And that's why he embraced it. And we need to be careful that some of the ideas that come into our mind that we harbour as our own are in line 
with the truth. Because God's Word would have us understand that that's not always the case. And you can read those verses in your own time. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus himself was tempted. And how does it work? How does it work? Well, there's these three phrases that I'd like us to think about for a few moments. Temptation, accusation, and deception. Let's begin with uh, temptation. You're running a race. Imagine that the Christian life is uh, a race. It's one of the metaphors, one of the images the Bible uses. Uh, And the crowd uh, are either roaring you on or they're shouting something less encouraging to you. Maybe they're shouting temptations to you to stop running. Hey, look what's over here. Take your eye off the finish line. Come and have a look at this. Now, I was running... I run, I run a car now. <laughs> I used to run with my feet. Uh, and, uh, and I was inspired by people like uh, uh, Seb Coe and Steve Ovet and people like that. Uh, and, uh, uh, and in their glory days when they were uh, uh, breaking world records, Seb Coe in particular, never take his vision off the finish line. So was he listening to the crowd? Is that how he'd been trained? No. Was he listening to what others were doing or saying? No. Was he watching other people in the race? No. He was keeping fixed on where he was heading. What about you? What about me? Because often temptation comes. Who is the tempter in the Bible? The tempter is Satan, or his demons, or his his his, his, uh, uh, one of his spirits. And so, when a temptation comes, we need to recognise what's happening. The only thing someone said they can resist, or sorry, the only thing they can't resist, someone said, is temptation. That's the only thing I can't resist. I resist everything else but temptation. And we know that to be true in our lives, don't we? Uh, this last week, we've been, uh, we've been to Longleat, where the lions roar. And where we've been staying, you can hear the lions roar in the night and so on. And, uh, uh, and lots of the attractions that are there in order for the Marquis of Bath or Lord Bath to make his money, uh, such as the eccentric person that he is, uh, all all the attractions that are there are very cleverly designed. You have to go through a shop to get into the attraction. And to get out of the attraction, you have to go through a shop. Now, he's not stupid, is he? The shops are full of absolute tats, you wouldn't believe but it tempts people left, right and centre. No one buys anything at Longleat without going into the shop. So he makes sure everyone goes into the shop. Don't you love it about Culture Suzu, the shop, at the end? They've bled you dry all day and then you walk through the shop. God bless them. Why? Because we can resist anything but temptation. Don't flirt with temptation. You are likely to get caught if you do. In fact, Jesus didn't teach us to pray not to sin, did he? He said, lead me away from temptation. Jesus didn't say, uh, uh, pray that when when you get yourself into a tempting situation, pray that you'll be strong, although that would be a good thing, I'm sure. He said, don't even go to the place where you'll be tempted. Recognize that moment you are beginning to be tempted and do something about it straight away, because if you're like me, if you're like everybody else sitting in your pew, you can resist anything but temptation. Lead me not into temptation, 
but deliver me from evil. For yours, the creator, the kingdom, the power, and the glory. See the same theme again? Creator, created. So we recognize it when it comes, or at least we need to. And we'll think about how we might do that in a moment. The next word was accusation. You see, he's really clever. What does tempting sound like? Go on, do it. You'll love it. No one will know. You'll be really pleased. Be really fulfilling. It'll be great. You deserve it. Go on, do it. Go on, do it. What happens as soon as you've done it? I can't believe you did that. Call yourself a Christian doing that. You're not a Christian doing something like that. The accuser comes. Same person. Tempts you and then accuses you. Is he a friend? No. 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 And so we're walking along, we get tempted, all the whispers, it won't hurt, nobody will get hurt, you won't, nobody will find out, you'll really enjoy it, no one will ever know, and then wham, as soon as you do it, you call it, you're useless, you are, call yourself a Christian, doing something like that, I bet the person sitting next to you, what would they think if they knew what you did? Do you know if I knew what you'd done, I wouldn't let you in this church? And if you knew what I'd done, you wouldn't let me be the minister here, fair deal? Tempting, accusing. Tempting, accusing. We get caught up in that cycle. Don't we recognize being caught in that cycle? Tempting, accusing. And then the third one, deception. The ball face lies. Excuse me, you're going the wrong way. The finishing line is back that way. The call sometimes to give it up. Give it up. It's too much like hard work. Look somewhere else for what you've looked to Jesus for. And so the cycle goes on around and around. We must learn not to listen. How good is the English football team at penalty shootouts? Can you imagine having to take that final penalty against the opposing fans in the stadium behind. You dare not listen for a moment to what they are saying. We must be that focused. If you flirt with temptation, it will grab you. And you know, it's not really good enough just to kind of think, I'm going to force myself not to think about it. No, I'm not going to think about it. What are you doing with that attitude? You're thinking about it. I've said this to you before, but what if there was a, a table here with a lovely, I don't know, what would it be for you? Would it be a, a, um, a cream apple turnover? Fresh cream oozing out the side? What would it be for you? And you go, no, I'm not going to have it. You know, I'm just not thinking about that cream bun on the table. I know, I'm not going to think about it. What are you doing? Thinking about it. And you're getting more and more desperate for the cream bun on the table until it eats you rather than you eat it. It's got you. You cannot think about it. So, where are we? Once we get ourselves into this cycle of temptation, accusation, temptation, accusation, deception, the Bible calls it a foothold. Evil has got a foothold on our lives. We're caught in a rut, an habitual situation, an habitual pattern of sinning, of living, of of thinking, of of responding. What does that all mean? Well, uh, Paul writes about anger being a foothold. 
If you don't deal with your anger, if you let it deal with you, it'll become a foothold uh, in your life. Other examples of, of footholds are when we, we fail to forgive someone and we get bitter and twisted. Who gets screwed up? The person we fail to forgive? No. We're the ones that get screwed up. And, uh, and a foothold takes place in our lives. We give the enemy a chance, an opportunity. And if Satan can get a foothold in our lives, there's nothing he likes more. Now, often when we uh, think about uh, Satan and the devils and, uh, and evil activity, we think of big dramatic situations. Now, sometimes I come across a, a situation where, where, where evil is personified, a devil is personified. And you'd expect that. Jesus had that in his ministry, and he dealt with them, and we deal with them in our ministry in exactly the same way, and it's no big deal. But most of the time, the insidious way that he will wear us down is through this temptation, accusation, temptation, accusation, temptation, accusation. And I'll ask you, whether that's been part of your story. I want to ask you whether it's been part of your story this last week. I'll comment about that slide in just a minute. Let's leave it for a second. How many of us this last week have experienced being tempted by something? In the Bible, who's the tempter? It's not the opposite sex or Cadbury's dairy milk. They're objects that the tempter uses. How many of us this last week have struggled with accusations? You're rubbish, you are. You call yourself a Christian and you couldn't even speak up for me in the office, at the school, in the play. You call yourself a Christian. How many of us have been deceived? That's more difficult because by the definition you're not sure if you've been deceived. But through these ways he gets footholds in our lives. What does that mean? You see, the English, the older translations of the Bible translated the, 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 the situation of demons really badly in our English. It wasn't a good enough word. And they used the term demon possessed. The Bible never talks about people being possessed by demons. At the core of your being as a Christian is what? It's the new life in Christ that we've been talking about week after week. At the core of your being, you belong to Jesus. Hip, hip. And that's absolutely secure. Nobody or nothing can take that away from you. Absolutely rock solid. Can he influence us? Yes. Can he get footholds in our lives so that we further his agenda, sometimes unwittingly rather than than, than God's? Yes. Can we be owned? Never, never Never. I belong to Christ. And there's nothing in all of creation that can separate me from his love. No rulers or powers or authorities or kingdoms, not even death, can separate me from the love of Christ that's in Christ Jesus. So what's our defense? How do we, how do we get ourselves sorted out? Well, we've got to understand our position in Christ. And I'm going to come into land with this, I think. We've got to understand our position in Christ. Now, where is Christ? What's his position? Well, if you flick back in your Bibles just a a couple of pages to Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about Christ's position. 
verse 19. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far, far above, far above. Does your Bible say far above? Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Far above. And God placed all things, does your Bible say all? All things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything. Does your Bible say everything? Everything for the church. Where is Christ? He is far above He is head over all. Why? Because he is part of the creator, not the created. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Soon going to be Christmas, done his shopping. That's the truth. He came from God, went back to God. He's the creator. We've been talking about things that are created down here somewhere. He is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given. And what is our position? Turn over chapter 2, verse 6. Where's Christ? It's far above? We're tracking? Ephesians 2, verse 6. You ready? And God raised us. Is that you? Certainly me. I'm going. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Thank you. God bless you. He's far above and in Christ I have been raised up to be seated far above with him. Hallelujah. And so Jesus would say to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. All authority. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Therefore, back to Ephesians chapter 6, because that's where you are seated, not because of your own strength and your own power, but because you are in the one who is far, far above, be strong in the Lord. In your own strength? No. In his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God. Put on all that God's power gives you so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. No more tempting accusation, tempting accusation. Sin confess, sin confess, sin confess. Those cycles in our Christian lives that wear us down. No, put on the full armour of God. Understand who you are in him. I'm far above in Christ. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The only way, the only way the devil can get you, the only way, remember who you are in Christ, far above, he's way down here, you're up here, the only way he can get you is if he gets you to believe that when you resist him he won't flee. And that's why our mind needs to be renewed day by day. I am in Christ today. 
And if I submit to God and resist the devil, he will flee from me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Understanding it's the key to escaping the sin-confess, sin-confess kind of temptation, accusation cycle that we find ourselves caught up in. I'm not a sitting duck. You didn't think that, did you? Quack. Not a sitting duck. I am not a sitting duck for all the powers of evil to have their pop at me. I'm not a sitting duck. I'm in Christ, far up there in the heavenly places. Do you want to come? Let's sit up there where we've been placed in Christ, so I can resist him because of where I'm seated, and if I resist him, he will flee from me. Resist the devil, and we renew our minds. Our defense then is to understand our position in Christ, and not to be frightened, and not to be frightened. We don't wake up tomorrow wondering, wondering what these dark powers can or may. I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ and nothing can separate me from the love of God in him. I'm in Christ. And we don't go looking for this stuff. You don't go looking for germs, do you? You just say, hey, I'm going to keep clean. I'm going to eat healthily. You don't go looking for germs. And we don't go looking for all this stuff. We just say, I'm going to be in Christ today. I'm going to look to him and his purpose in my life. I'm not going to be frightened. And we need to guard our minds. We need to guard our minds because it's in our minds. If he can get us to think wrong ways, we will behave in wrong ways. It's all about our mind. You'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind, said Paul. A Christian mind, a mind soaked in Christ. A mind that's so focused on Jesus and on his truth that every lie, every bit of darkness, every evil stands out like a big flashing beacon in your mind because you know it is against everything that you're setting your mind and your heart on. As someone once said, when you get into a a dark room and you don't want it to be dark anymore, you don't try shooing the darkness away. You just turn the light on. And in my mind, Lord God, turn the light on so that I can think the truth, so that I can see the truth, so that my heart and my mind can be set and focused on you, and then everything else falls away because of what I'm focused on. Turn on the light. Turn on the light. And there's a verse I... No, let's look at this image just for a second. I don't know if uh, some of you work in, uh, in banking and uh, you're trained, as I understand it, in banking just to, uh, uh, to make sure that uh, you're equipped as you can to spot a counterfeit. Do they train you by showing you lots of counterfeit bills? No. They train you by helping you know intimately what a genuine one looks like. If our minds are so focused on what's genuine, what's true, what's to do with the light, we don't need to worry about anything else. Isn't that liberating? I don't have to go looking under dark corners. I don't have to go tiptoeing around. But I do have to make sure the light is switched on in my mind. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. And I'm going to leave these uh, with you. Uh, It's page 991 in my Bible, but that's no help to you, whatever. Um, Philippians 4, who can tell me a page number? 11. 
1180, Philippians chapter 4, verses uh, 6 to 8. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do you make sure you stay in that place? You make sure by verse 8, finally, brothers, sisters, is a generic term, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Turn on the light and you'll never need to shoo the darkness away, Heather.